Hi, everyone. Welcome to Mana Ministry. We are excited because we are currently in our new series, Truth Prescriptions. This is our episode number two, right, Katie? Yes, and it is going to be an exciting mental health series, which both Purcell and myself are super excited about, something that we're personally passionate about, but also because of how needed the topic of mental health is. I was just looking at the statistics not too long ago, and I realized with the pandemic, it's increased almost by double since pre-2019, so pre-COVID. It's significant. And so we want to encourage you all to please share, share the link with a friend, whether to join us live or we record it and upload it to YouTube and you can watch it later on. But we really enjoy you being here and and the interaction that we uh, try to engage you in. And it's, it's lovely to hear from you all in your own personal perspectives as well. So please subscribe as well. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel and that helps you get the reminders when a video is uploaded to also share and then also to follow us on YouTube. I mean, on Instagram, Instagram Instagram helps with also kind of some of the flyers and knowing kind of some of the announcements of our upcoming episodes as well. Yes. So please subscribe and share. And so I'll go ahead and introduce myself for those who don't know me. I am Christelle Olasaran and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And this is my sister. I'm Dr. Katie Elson, and I'm a psychologist, and together we are your hosts for the Truth Prescriptions YouTube Zoom episodes. <laughs> episodes, yes. And so as we mentioned last week, and we are mentioning today again, we do have a disclaimer. We just want to remind you that the intent of this series is not to provide nor to be a substitute for professional advice diagnosis or treatment. Instead, the purpose is to provide spiritual guidance because we will be utilizing the Bible as a practical guide for one's mental well-being. So please always seek the advice of your mental health professional or any other qualified health provider with any questions that may arise during our series or that you currently have uh, regarding your condition. Yes, and we also want to encourage you that if you are in a crisis, or you think you may have an emergency to call your doctor, 911, um, immediately. So we know that a lot of people are in distress and you may be in distress while you're watching, whether live or later on. And so we do wanna encourage you to call and to access the resources needed if you're having suicidal thoughts. Um, you can call 1-800-273-TALK or 8255. And that's, you can talk to a skilled trained counselor. A lot of people are a little hesitant to call that number, but these are individuals that are talking to people in crisis all the time, and they can really help you during that difficult time. Um, so that's the National Suicide Prevention Hotline or Lifeline number. And if you are located outside the United States, and we have had viewers outside of the United States, um, so call your local emergency line immediately. We want to make sure that you are safe. Yes. Yes. And so before we begin, why don't we bow our heads in prayer? Dear Lord in heaven, we want to thank you once again for the opportunity to learn more about ourselves, Lord, in context to you. You are our creator. You designed us, Lord, with a purpose and intention of living our life in a certain way. And sometimes 
life can get confusing and we don't know exactly which direction to go. And so we turn to you and we thank you so much for your Bible, for your biblical guidance um, and learning more about ourselves and how to relate to others. And we thank you so much. And we also ask that you open our minds, you open our hearts and change us, Lord, from the inside out. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we are excited, right, Katie, for today's topic. I know we say that every week, Katie, (laughs) every week. But honestly, today is a very interesting topic. The title is, I know how you feel. And I don't know about you, but Katie's like, really? (laughs) I don't know about you, but I have personally heard this very often. I have been guilty of saying this myself as well. I'm going to be completely honest. And sometimes it kind of just slips, right? Um, And so that is our title today, I Know How You Feel. And we are going to begin with an activity. And so just a reminder, this is interactive. So while we are in Zoom and Katie and I are the ones who are speaking, we do have a chat. And so if you could answer the questions that we have for you through that chat, feel free to do so. Also throughout our series, if there's any question you have, but you want to remain anonymous, feel free to send either Katie or I a direct message. Okay. So Katie, can you introduce the activity for this evening? Yeah. So we are going to be talking about empathy and a way to get us to start thinking is whether or not we ourselves can be considered as empathic. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be having a self-report questionnaire on empathy. And it's not exactly what you might think. So what's going to happen is we're going to put the questions on the screen. And whether you're joining us live or you're watching later, um, we're going to give you some time to respond to these questions. Um, Just write them down. And you see here that there's, there's a scale on the bottom. So for example, number one, you say, my friend's emotions don't affect me much. You, say, you might say, okay, strongly disagree. So you're going to go to the bottom there and you notice the ones that have the asterisks, you're going to look at the red numbers and you say, okay, that I strongly disagree. So I would then write down five. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you say, okay, number two, right? That one doesn't have an asterisk. So I'm going to look at the black and say, okay, if I say disagree, I get two points. And you're gonna, don't add them up. Don't add them up. You might think, oh, I got a total out of all the 20. We're gonna be looking at different components also of empathy. So we're gonna give you some, a couple of minutes now to, and don't think too much. I know when I take myself, when I take these questionnaires, I go, hmm, what do I really feel? And if you're thinking, like, hmm. thinking, this is not to be a diagnosis or just whatever your initial gut feeling, whatever your initial thoughts are. My friend's emotions don't affect me much. Oh, that's completely wrong, right? Or completely right. So we're going to go this, through this fairly quickly. So we'll give you a couple minutes now to go over these questions and write down your responses. And you're going to keep these because we'll come back to them during our presentation. Yes. And just to add to that, Katie, I love these activities because a part of enhancing our mental health well-being is enhancing our insight um, on ourselves. 
And that helps with understanding how to grow and change in our personal lives. And so we'll see what the answers are. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going yes. to take it myself. So I'll give you a few minutes. Don't wait too long. <laughs> I don't have a pen with me. I can make a mental note. You know, I'm thinking, Katie, I'm going to read them out loud okay. just in case there's someone who may be just on audio and doesn't have the opportunity to take the time to sit down and read them. So idea. here it goes. Number one is my friend's emotions don't affect me much. And then Katie, the scale, I can't see it through my, through my screen here. The scale is what? Yeah. So it's one strongly disagree to five strongly agree, but this one is reverse coded. So this would be five to one. So really okay. if you're on audio, you should take a peek at the, the visual. Yes. Because it really would help. But yes, yeah, just continue to read them for us. Chris. Okay. Number two, after being with a friend who is sad about something, I usually feel sad. Number three, I can understand my friend's happiness when he or she does well at something. Number four, I get frightened when I watch characters in a good, scary movie. Number five, I get caught up in other people's feelings easily. Number six, I find it hard to know when my friends are frightened. So just quickly, if you just joined us, we are... Um, in our activity section, and we are doing an empathy quest. So you would, if you'd like to join, we encourage you to, Crystal's uh, reading the questions for us, for those who may not be visually able to see the questions, but um, write down your responses. The ones that are asterisked are those that are reverse coded. Yes. So let's continue with number eight. Other people's feelings don't bother me at all. Number nine. When someone is feeling down, I can usually understand how they feel. Number 10, I can usually work out when my friends are scared. Number 11, I often become sad when watching sad things on TV or in films. Number 12, I can often understand how people are feeling even before they tell me. Number 13, seeing a person who has been angered has no effect on my feelings. Number 14, I can usually work out when people are cheerful. And number 15, I tend to feel scared when I am with friends who are also afraid. Number 16, I can usually realize quickly when a friend is angry. Number 17, I often get swept up in my friend's feelings. Number 18, my friend's unhappiness doesn't make me feel anything. Number 19, I am not usually aware of my friend's feelings. And our last one, number 20, 
I have trouble figuring out when my friends are happy. So let's see what your score is. Now, we're not going to round up the score now, mm-hmm. but makes you wonder, right? Am I like this? Am I, what does this mean if I answer this or that? <laughs> so I think that's ample, um, ample amount of time. No, Katie? Yes. And I'll just say this. Remember, for all self-report measures, do not answer the way that you think would be the best version of yourself, but you actually <laughs> right? I would like to be that way. No one's going to look at your responses. This is just your own personal reflection. And if you weren't able to go through all the questions, what we'll do is we'll continue on. And then as we start the content, we can, I'll put the slide back up for any lingering questions that we might need to answer. Okay. So that's our activity. An introduction to our topic today, right, Katie? Empathy. And so as we have, and as we will have every episode, an icebreaker question. So this is a moment where we'd like to get to know you a little bit more. And so we do encourage you, um, it's not required, it's optional. If you could share your name there in the chat room with everyone and your response to this question. If you do not write, type in your name, we are assuming that you don't want us to say your name. And so We see that you wrote it, but if you don't type your name, you won't say it out loud, okay? So icebreaker question is as follows. Let's see here. What is the most comforting response you've given or received when hurting? So your name and your response to this question. What is the most comforting response you've given or received when hurting and i have to ask myself the same questions <laughs> that happens every week whenever we say most comforting you know sometimes it's hard to think about the most thing that you were the best whatever comes to mind too if you want to start jotting them down um, but just we're trying to brainstorm on responses that we consider as comforting during times of grief loss Sadness, depression, pain. Mm-hmm. Most comforting response. So I'll go ahead and begin with mine. My name is Chriselle, as I mentioned earlier. And the question is not very specific. So by response, I'm actually going to mention a nonverbal response. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the most comforting that response I've received is when someone just says, come here, and then they just hug me and hold me. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember a particular time where my father did that. And it was just the most relieving moment where I felt that I I was in his arms and everything was going to be okay. He didn't say anything to me, (laughs) but he just embraced me and held me. And that was very comforting in that moment. Is one of your love languages physical touch? You know, when you, when, when we asked this question, I thought about love languages. <laughs> I taught a patient that this last week, love languages. Yeah. It might be related, right, Katie? So my Let's name see. is Katie and kind of related to our title. One of the most comforting responses 
I've received is, I don't know how you feel. And mm-hmm. the way that they said it even was like, you know, oh, I don't know how you feel. Like it was such a horrible situation that I was like, yikes. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. Like, and, and I want to, right? But I just don't. Yes. Okay, we have a response here. It says, a really understanding whom and silence during which I knew the person was putting themselves in my shoe and processing mm-hmm. what I said. And this is Michelle. Mm-hmm. That's a really good response, right? And that fits perfectly what we'll, with what we'll talk about today. Mm-hmm. But we see so far a pattern of responses, right? Not yes. saying much and not pretending like they know, but trying really to put themselves in our shoes. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? So if you just joined us, we're in our icebreaker question and we are answering the question, what is the most comforting response you've given or received when hurting? So far we have the response of not much words, more so a physical embrace. We have the response of, I don't know how you feel. We have the response of, hmm, as in silence in which the person was trying to put themselves in their shoes and processing what that person just said. So the most comforting response that you've given or received when hurt. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about empathy today. Anyone else before we continue? We have some shy ones. (laughs) Maybe they're contemplating on their answer. Maybe they have so many comforting responses. It's hard to choose. (laughs) The most comforting. All right. Well, if you have a response, feel free to send it in and we will continue and we'll reflect more up. That always happens. I think I'm saying that that phrase, then someone sends one in. Chriselle, you, you want to read it? Yes. My name is Robert. Everything that happened to you doesn't define you. Someone told me so at Pine Springs a few years ago. Mm. Everything that happened to you doesn't define you. That's, That's powerful. Mm-hmm. You have another participant that put a heart to love that one. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyone else before we continue? And again, you can send them in and we'll read them later. But let's, yeah, let's continue. All right. So as we mentioned before, we are going to be talking about empathy and the title for our episode today is I know how you feel. Some of you already might have some reactions to that. But as a a brief reminder of last episode, we covered the three P's. An introduction of our new series, the three P's of truth prescriptions are the prescriber, the prescription, the patient. 
finding the, the true prescriber, finding the true prescription, and how we could be the best patient in order to have the best possible outcomes. And so what we're going to be doing is we provided an overview last week, or last two weeks, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And this episode will be going into depth the prescriber. And mm-hmm. one of the number one qualities that we often look for in a prescriber or a therapist is someone who is empathic. Empathic. So we're going to be talking about what is empathy? Is it truly possible? Is it truly possible to know how one other feels and whether or not or how we can look for that in the best possible prescriber? But before we jump in, we do want to review our last week's, or again, I keep on thinking it's weekly, but I know episodes, truth prescription. So we end every episode with a truth prescription. And Christelle, what was our truth prescription for our last episode? So for our last episode, our truth prescription was to take some time to reflect on and write down which areas of your life need change. And so we're curious to know if anyone would like to share how their experience was in taking this truth prescription, right? Taking their daily dosage of the truth and learning more about themselves. Um, If you'd like to share, we'd love to hear. Yes. And as we talked about last time in the overview of truth prescription is we're starting that journey of healing. And so in order to start that journey, you need at first just to take some time and reflect and write down because those are the areas in which you want to emphasize and focus on for growth. And one thing we also encourage you, if any of these things in particular that you're thinking, oh, I really need this area of my life to change. If you'd like to ever send in a message or an email to us indicating that topic so that we can cover it in our series, feel Mm -hmm. free. We more than welcome those responses um, because we want to make sure that this series is helpful and tailored also to you all. And so we'll let you, if you like to, it might be some personal, personal reflections. And so if you'd like, feel free to send it in. And if it's so personal that you just like to send it to myself or to Chriselle through an um, individual message on chat, feel free to send that directly to us. You can just indicate that in the chat and send it directly to our names. But if you'd like to send it in, feel free, but we will continue on to our topic for today. I know how you feel. And so we talked about, you know, the different responses that we may receive when we're hurting or going through a hard time. And so that's really where our title comes from. And we are excited because we're going to be delving into understanding what is empathy. Uh, I don't know about others outside of the field of mental health because I've been in it for a couple of years. Empathy is a word that comes up quite often. Um, So I don't know how familiarized others are in other professions, et cetera. But my sister and I, we've had conversations regarding what is empathy? Is it even really possible? Katie, do you feel empathic for your, for your patients? Uh, What does that look like when you're empathic or when you show empathy to your patients, to your clients? And so we're going to start off by having that question. What do you think is the definition of empathy. What is empathy? If someone were to ask you that, they've never come across that word. They've never heard it before. And they're like, what is empathy? How would you respond? 
And before we answer that, we do have a comment here. It says, one of the most comforting things I have heard is the verse that tells us God works all things together for good, even all the bad, hard things that can happen as we go through life. So this is in response to the icebreaker question, Romans 8:28. Whatever comes to us, God has allowed to happen, right? He doesn't cause the hurt, but he does allow mm-hmm. it to happen. And we can trust him whatever comes because we know he loves us so much. Yes, that he can take even the challenges and adversities of our lives and bring it together for our good. Definitely super comforting um, in times of of distress. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so let's go back quickly to the question. What is empathy? In your opinion, what is empathy? We hear it a lot. Oh, I'm an empath. (laughs) What is empathy? So let's give them, let me see if they have any responses here. Okay, so let's see. Any responses? If not, I can share a couple that I've heard from others. Oh, go perfect, perfect, perfect. So we have a response here. Empathy seems to be the capacity to put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yes, that is a common understanding of what empathy is. And then we have another one who says coming alongside of someone suffering and then understanding what they feel. Okay. So somewhat along the same lines. And then for the, right. If you think about it, it's one says being to put yourself in their shoes. Another person Mm -hmm. says coming alongside of someone, right. Some differences in what we might understand empathy to be. Yes. And for the first response, um, it's added and understand things from their frame of reference. Okay. I know for others, often it's referred to as to feel the pain of others. I feel, you know, the pain of so-and-so. They're sad. I'm sad. Right? Mm-hmm. They hurt, I hurt. To feel the pain of others. What are other definitions that of empathy that we've heard? When others may say, I feel your pain. Mm-hmm. I hurt because you hurt um, to hurt for others. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have another response here. It says empathy is relating to someone's pain. Mm-hmm. So again, we see some differences. We're not yes. quite sure exactly what empathy means. It's one of those words that, we think we know until we have to define it. I use mm-hmm. words and Chriselle, you say, what does that mean? I'm like, huh, I always use it. But then the moment that I have to define it, it's quite different. That's true. We That's have a true. Here. In everyday language, it's, I feel you, bro. <laughs> I feel you, bro. <laughs> That's true. Yes. To feel the yes. pain, to hurt for others, to walk in another person's shoes. I know how you feel are probably the most common responses. Mm. What is empathy? We have a comment here because I've heard confusion about sympathy versus empathy. That's great that you brought that up because there is a confusion (laughs) and we're going to clarify it today. So stay tuned. It's coming up very soon. So, and if you have more responses, please send them. We love the interaction. Mm -hmm. One of the things that both myself and Chriselle, we struggled with when we heard these definitions of I know how you feel or feeling the pain of others or placing ourselves in someone else's shoes is the more that we did therapy, 
the more we started to ask ourselves, is it really possible? Mm-hmm. Outside of therapy, I used to be like, oh yeah, you know, I, I can empathize. And then when I was in therapy and providing therapy, I thought, I don't really know so many different stories of different people. And I'm like, do I really know? And Crystal, you and I have had this discussion. Is it really possible? And yes. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at evidence that might support this idea that we can know how other people feel and possible evidence that doesn't support these definitions of empathy. Yes. And so let's begin with research, right, Katie, that supports the concept of empathy, of being able to understand and relate to someone else's pain. And so I don't know how many of you have heard of mere neurons. Katie's like, I have. I heard about it back in school and I was kind of like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And then when I started to apply it to my life, it's like, yeah, that does, that totally happens. Right, Katie? And so mirror neurons are a type of brain cell that responds equally when we perform an action and when we witness someone else performing the same action. So what would be an example of that, Katie? So a great example of that is actually how they found out about mirror neurons is that they were conducting a, a study. So these were some Italian researchers back in the 1990s. I think they published their study in 1992. And I'm not going to butcher their names, but it's even Pellegrino, which, you know, I I know how to say that one. Um, But Italian researchers, they were studying um, macaque monkeys. And they noticed it was kind of they stumbled upon this. They weren't researching it in particular, but they found that when a monkey was that part of the brain of monkeys that were firing. So it's specifically in the motor area, the F5 area in which um, it would fire both when the monkeys grabbed an object, but also when the monkeys watched another monkey grab the same object. So think about like, okay, if a monkey is eating a banana, right? And certain neurons are firing. When a monkey is watching that monkey eat the banana, those same neurons are firing. Mm. Fascinating, right? You would only Mm. think that those neurons would fire if they were eating the, the banana themselves, but it's also firing when they see someone else eat the banana. Mm-hmm. Pretty powerful. That's and cool. so, yeah, it's cool. But then you ask yourself, well, then, okay, let me apply this to my life. Is that true? Mm-hmm. This is, this was research done with monkeys, but in regards to us, is it true? Does it happen? And so I think of the, the classic example, it even works as my 20 month old baby. I go, and she goes, oh, and she starts to yawn with me. <laughs> or sometimes if I'm like in, I remember back in school, I would yawn or someone would yawn. And all of a sudden I find myself desiring to yawn and I would start to yawn. What are other examples? Or resisting the yawn. There's even a commercial <laughs> one day. I thought it was a really good commercial of somebody, I think on a, a news channel yawned accidentally and then they showed how everyone across the world that was watching that news channel had yawned as well, right? This idea that it's completely- <gasps> But yes, what are other examples? <laughs> what did someone say here? So that's why when I see someone else eating donuts, I get so hungry, can almost taste them. <laughs> Maybe. 
I wish that actually worked, right? Then I wouldn't get the calories of the donuts. I could just watch someone eat the donuts. <laughs> so that I just yawn from hearing about this. <laughs> I was thinking that I was wondering, is someone going to yawn because they saw me yawn or just thinking just about it? Experiment, not say it and just do it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Why don't you share your example of what happened in session? Yes. So this happened to me the other day. I was actually explaining in group therapy. I was, uh, I run a DBT group and I was explaining to them the concept of mirror neurons. And I said, okay, so for example, and I turned to one of the group members and I said, if I were to, and before I even finished, I, I just naturally, when I sat down and I turned and then I crossed my leg. And in that moment, before even explaining mirror neurons completely, the group member crossed her leg. And I was like, did you just see that? And everyone's <laughs> like, oh my, right? When you're so in tune with somebody, you see what they do and you also can mimic it, right? So that's another example of mere neurons. And that's why they also say it. If someone is interested in you or interested in your conversation, often they'll reflect your body language. Mm-hmm. Because they're engaged with you. Yes. Yes. So other examples are, Maybe, you know, you see someone itching and then you start to itch or you hear someone who's saying, oh, imagine that this is happening and then you start to itch. Um, Also, the example of, I don't know if this has happened to you, but if you're around someone who has a certain energy, whether that is hyper or the complete reverse where it's just like low energy, you may start to feel kind of like, oh, I feel drowsy. (laughs) tired or man, I kind of feel anxious. Like what's going on with me. Right. That happens a lot to me in therapy is Mm. I notice sometimes if my client is really, really anxious and then I just naturally, I'm like, Oh wow. It's, it's contagious. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. I also just drank water and I'm wondering if anyone then got thirsty because that's another common one. (laughs) Yeah. That's another common one. Now there's another thing that also I think is super powerful. Katie, can you explain a little bit in regards to how mirror neurons work when it comes to watching movies? Yes. So, I mean, I don't think I have to explain much. If you're watching a movie, right, Mm -hmm. you can often feel the feelings, right? So someone's sad Mm -hmm. or crying. I'm the type of person that will cry if I see someone crying, right, in a movie. Um, You you could even see someone fall in love in a movie and they're actors and yet you have the sense of butterflies or right. It's this idea that we're very connected. And one of the things that I want to mention is yes, these were discovered and they're fascinating these mirror neurons in the 1990s, but this concept is not new whatsoever. This concept is actually found in the Bible, right? Thousands of years ago in second Corinthians three 18. And it's this, this concept that what we behold, we become changed. We, we change of what we behold. And that's why it's, you have to be careful. But let me just read the verse for you. So 2 Corinthians 3.18. So if you have your Bibles, you can get, the, get them out. But if you don't, that's fine. I'll read it for you. It says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror. There we see the mirror neuron. Mm-hmm. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. This idea that if we behold God, 
we become changed into his image. And so what we behold, we become changed. Okay. So this is support of empathy, right? This idea that even just watching someone or, you know, some sort of connection breeds empathy, the ability to feel right in our brain, the brain chemistry is actually similar to what that person is going through. Yes. And so there is the example in regards to research that supports the concept of empathy. But what about the opposite? Is there anything that's against it? Mm. And what's interesting about this is many of us have just accepted the idea of and concept of empathy, but we haven't really challenged it. But what maybe can help you start thinking about whether or not it's true is that I know how you feel. When somebody says to you, I know how you feel, how do you feel? Like, no, you don't. Like, how do you know how I feel? Mm-hmm. This isn't happening to you. Like, did it's happening to me. Like, for example, if you lose a loved one, like, you don't know how I feel. Like, I just lost my mom. Like, you have made lost your brother. That's different. Like, you don't know how I feel. Right? Or they may say, they may say, you know, if I lost my brother, they may say to me, well, I didn't lose my brother, but I lost my mother. And it's like, well, that's not quite the same, mm-hmm. you know? And so I know, for example, I run a group for chronic pain patients. Mm-hmm. And while I myself have experienced pain, um, I cannot relate. I cannot understand fully the pain that that particular person is experiencing, whether it be them or any other member of that group. I know what pain is, but do I know their pain? No, I don't. I, and I will never know. Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality of it. So that's an example. Um, what's another example, Katie? I mean, I just think about things that people have told me, um, such horrible things. And I'm just, I don't know how you feel. I can't even imagine how you feel. It's just so different from my experience that that's where I've really questioned whether or not empathy is possible, right? The, Mm -hmm. I know how you feel. I'm walking in your shoes. Um, I feel your hurt. I know your pain. Right? Yeah. yeah or, I think for me, for me specifically, I remember that in school as they're teaching you to be a therapist, they teach you how to be empathic. I know how you feel. I understand. Right, Katie? That's, that sounds horrible. That sounds horrible. No. They're teaching you to say <laughs> the right things. Maybe that's evidence against, right? We say the right things, but do we truly know? But that's where I'm leading to that. I remember actually sitting there saying, I know. And I'm like, no, I don't know. And then I felt fake that I was saying, I know. And then I'm like, I'm attempting to be empathic, but the reality is I don't understand. And that's where you and I had this conversation is, Katie, are you empathic? Like, how does it work with empathy and you as a therapist in session with a patient? And so just it, we started to kind of explore the concept of empathy if it was really possible. Yes. And, and one author put it this way. It says the metaphor of putting oneself in the other's shoe is misleading for it is a mistake to assume that the other feels the same way 
as one would oneself feel in the same circumstances. So even if you say, you know, yes, I haven't experienced that, but I can imagine you're assuming that you are exactly like them and that you would respond in the exact same way, but you are such different people and unique experiences that the metaphor of putting oneself in the other shoe or other shoes is misleading. Right. Yes. And in another example, for those who remember back in 1992, we had the president Bill Clinton and he had his infamous comment. I feel your pain. Right. And how did, how did society respond to that? Where they're like, yes, you do. Yes. He's with us. He understands. He can empathize. No, they went like completely offended. They criticized him and they pretty much declared that he, he can't empathize with me. What does it mean? I can feel your pain. And he utilized this to help in his, to campaign for his election. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we make sense of, yes, we understand mere neurons and how that impacts our ability to feel another's pain while also recognizing that it might be impossible to truly feel and experience the other person's pain. Yeah. So wait, Katie, are we trying to tell them now that empathy is not true? It's false? So you must be wondering, right? <laughs> it, it depends. The it depends. Therapist yeah. It depends. Depends on the definition that you use and that this definition that what people don't recognize is that there's three main components of empathy and you need to include these components in order to have an accurate definition. So let's start with the definition, Crystal. What is truly empathy? And so it comes from the German epilogue. I hope I pronounced that correctly, of feeling into. So the definition would be the attempt to or the action of better understanding, being aware of, being sensitive to, vicariously experiencing the feelings, the thoughts, and the experience of another. So it's not necessary to share the same exact experience or circumstances as, as others, but the key word here is the attempt, mm-hmm. right, Katie? Mm-hmm. And I like the three components there with the feelings, the thoughts, and the experience. Yes. So it means it's not necessary to share the same experiences as others, but it's the attempt to the choice to try to better understand, be aware of um, another's experience, feelings, thoughts, experience. So we kind of just alluded to it, but there's three components of empathy. And we have a comment here says, instead of, I know how you feel, I do care would be honest enough Mm. or even I want to better understand how you feel, right? Can you explain or can you help me? me? Help me to better understand. But it's not the assumption that I know how you feel. Katie, I love that. You know why? Why? Having that invitation of help me understand what it does is it helps the connection grow and, and solidify even more, enhancing your understanding. Versus if I come and I say, I know how you feel, it kind of just like chop, 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 done. Mm-hmm. And there's no further connection or connecting that occurs. So I love that invitation. I love that response. Yes. So Crystal, we alluded to it, but what are the three components of 
empathy? So the three components would be the cognitive components, which essentially is the desire to understand. Then we have the second component, which is the emotional component. That's the desire to feel. And Katie, thank you for putting that up. It's just a visual for those who are a little bit more visual. I'm one of them. And the third would be the compassionate component of empathy. And this is where the action is taken, the desire to help and support the experience is taken on. So we have the three components, cognitive, emotional, and compassionate. And so let's go back to our quiz. And just quickly, um, the truly there's the cognitive emotional components. That those are the two main components, which leads to the compassionate component, right? Mm-hmm. And so the quiz actually that we had you all take um, is really broken down into cognitive emotional and depending on your scores in the cognitive no- emotional sections would determine how compassionate you are as well. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go back to our quiz here. And if you didn't take it, you can either um, take it later on or um, you can try to quickly take it, but I doubt that you have enough time to take it. Um, but if you did take it and you want to score your responses or maybe just reflect on your responses, um, we want you to add up items three, six, nine, 10, 12, 14, 16, 19, and 20. Okay, so those are nine items that we want you to add up. And when you add up three, six, nine, 10, 12, 14, 16, 19, and 20, that will be your cognitive empathy score. Okay, I'm putting this here for them. Yes. Um, equals cognitive? Yes. Okay. Okay, and then the rest of the items, one, two, four, five, seven, eight, 11, 13, 15, 17, and 18. So that's a total of 11 items, which be your affective or emotional empathy. And so each, so if you tally up, you have a maximum score for cognitive empathy of 45, and you have a maximum score of emotional empathy of 55. So 45 for cognitive? Yes. And okay. 55 for emotional. Okay. And what we'll have you do is tally that up and if you have, so the closer you are to 45, the stronger your ability to be cognitively empathic. And the closer score that you have to 55 is your ability to be emotionally empathic. And a total score of 100, if you're below 20, we're not gonna diagnose anyone, but that means you are deficient in empathy. That is a very low score. Um, and then 11, uh, 100 would be the top score that you can have. Okay, Katie. So just a, a return to the closer you are to 55, you said? Closest to 45 is cognitive empathy. And then uh-huh. 55 for 
um, emotional empathy. Okay. And if you have any questions afterwards or want this quiz afterwards, so this is the basic emotional scale, uh, basic empathy scale. So this is a validated scale. Um, so if you have any questions and you want to use this later on, feel free to message us on Instagram or you can also email us um, as well. So yes, and so if you look at your chat, I put in there the details in order to assist you in calculating your score. Thank you, Crystal. Crystal, can you also add the Nana Bible study email in case they want to email us? What's that email again? Good question. It's Nana Bible study. Oh, yeah. I'll study seven, you said? I do. All right. If anyone needs more time, feel free to put in the chat so we know you need more time. If not, we will continue. And again, with the three components. So remember, empathy, the true definition of empathy is to what to attempt to to make the choice of to try to understand that's the cognitive component right mm -hmm. to desire to feel that's the emotional co component and then to help and support which is the compassionate and if you have true cognitive and emotional empathy that motivates you to compassion mm -hmm. let's continue Yes, let's continue to a previous comment in regards to what's the difference between sympathy and empathy. The comment was that there's often a confusion regarding those two concepts, those two terms. And so we have that question for you. What's the difference? Yeah. Is there a difference? Are they one and the same? Are they different? I mean, there are different words. Yes. So we want to hear from you. What do you think is the difference? So we just defined empathy. Mm -hmm. To attempt to be more aware, to be to understand, what do you think sympathy is? I think it's more common to hear the word sympathy than empathy, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Any definitions pop up? Maybe they're thinking, what's the difference? <laughs> I think we have one. Okay. So here, we have a comment here. Sympathy, maybe recognizing someone's pain or experience. Okay. Another one says here to feel compassionately towards someone who was hurting. Okay. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you, what do you think then, if that's the definition of sympathy, then what would be the difference between sympathy and empathy? And if you're like me, I was stuck and struggled with defining this. <laughs> and recognizing <laughs> this. I was like, wait, what exactly? Are they different? So... If you have any Does anyone feel lost? I'm just curious. Okay. You can feel I'm just curious. Sad. This is one of the responses. You can feel sad 
or compassionate for someone without understanding really their feelings in a given situation. Okay. Someone says, yes, I feel lost. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, we resonate with that feeling because we were also lost. We were coming up with the study and, and doing, you know, the research behind all of this. It was like, wait, is there a difference? Someone says here, it is like right foot and then left foot. Sorry for the joke. <laughs> and then someone says, thank you for the sympathy or empathy. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going to leave here just confused. Absolutely. <laughs> Both of them. Now. So let's, let's, let's provide some clarification, Katie. So we don't have to leave them in the state of confusion for too long. Yes. So sympathy is understanding another's emotions or experience. So in essence of what we just described, sympathy is only the cognitive component of empathy. Mm -hmm. I can try to understand, right? Sympathy is like, oh, I think I can try to understand, but it's not really the feeling of true empathy. So it has a cognitive piece, but not the emotional piece, right? But yet there's still more. And we'll put that on a little pause. We're going to show you a video and then we're going to come back to this question. Yes, but before you do so, we have a comment here that says, I've always understood empathy to be more trying to get in someone's shoes and feeling versus showing sympathy, being more an active term, doing something. Okay. Okay. So let's, this is a video Um, by Dr. Brene Brown. Some of you may have heard of her. She is a public speaker, uh, social worker, social worker, and she talks, she's probably most famous for her talks on vulnerability and shame, but she also talks on sympathy and empathy and what is the difference. So I'm going to share my screen here and we'll see this video. Let me know if everyone can hear okay. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark. I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, you climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no. You want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice. Because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empath 
empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us. It's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Any reactions to that video? We'll start off with that, right, Katie? Because we definitely had reactions when we watched that video. So thinking about everything that we've thus far shared about empathy, the components of empathy, and now talking about the difference between sympathy and empathy, any reactions to that video? So I'll just say, you know, we can see that sympathy is portrayed by, I believe it's a deer, right? And we see mm-hmm. that empathy is being portrayed, um, portrayed by the bear. And one of the main components that Dr. Brene Brown mentions is that empathy requires vulnerability, right? Mm -hmm. He also emphasizes the choice that people have to make to empathize. And we notice not only in, you know, the, that there are different animals, but specifically there are different in actions. One comes down into the hole. The other one we see comes down, but not completely. Just enough to say, I see you down there. That's sympathy, understanding cognitively, but empathy is saying, I'm willing to be there with you and try to feel with you. Mm-hmm. And so as I was watching this video, I was thinking, Dr. Brene Brown, she doesn't point out a particular question. And the question would be, well, why do we sympathize instead And what keeps us from empathizing? And as I was watching that, I was imagining, like I said earlier, I'm a very visual person. I was imagining that bear coming down the ladder. And I was like, the bear is saying, I know (sighs) it's dark down here. And I'm thinking like, how does the bear know that? The bear hasn't even been there for a while. The bear just came down. How can the bear say that the bear understands and knows what that experience is like? for that fox. And so it triggered that, that question, what keeps us from empathizing and why do we sympathize instead of empathize? Yeah. So why do we act like the deer, Mm -hmm. right? Not fully going down instead of really trying to fully empathize. And there's a comment here that Mm -hmm. is so spot on to what we're going to talk about in a little bit. So the comment says, people seem to talk a lot more about empathy these days than a decade ago. Mm -hmm. So we're actually going to come back to that because it's so, so important in talking about sympathy versus empathy. Yes. And so going back to that visual of the bear and having that question, 
uh, why do we sympathize versus empathize or what keeps us from empathizing? I thought about, you know, you know, it could really be that we sympathize. So what we're really doing is sympathizing, but we're delivering our sympathy as empathy. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're experiencing something internally that's contradicting what we're saying verbally. And someone has a good comment here. It says, if you're scared of your emotions, it's mm-hmm. hard to decide to feel other people's emotions. Spot exactly. On. That's spot on. And I think that there's this underlying fear of to really step into someone's shoes and to take on that, that, that scariness of that emotion that they're feeling that we don't quite understand. But if we're truly empathizing, we're going to step into that shoe. If we ourselves struggle with managing our own emotions, identifying them, how are we then going to do that for someone else? And not just scared of our own emotions, but we're very selfish, right? So it's kind of like, I want to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to go into someone else's experience. So what we do is we, why we sympathize and not empathize often is because we want to stay with the cognitive piece right? So mm-hmm. I want to be able to stay up there, like the deer come down a little bit. That's more comfortable to me. Pretend like I'm being empathic by saying, Oh, I see you down there. And that's what you said, Crystal, of delivering sympathy and labeling it or packaging it as if it's empathy, but it's not true empathy thing. I know how you feel doesn't mean you actually know how they feel. You're actually staying with the cognitive but hoping that it comes across to the person as if it's actually truly emotional. Yeah. So you're staying with the cognitive and you're not allowing yourself to go then into the emotional because something is not allowing you to do that. Um, And so that's why oftentimes we say, I know how you feel. And that cuts off the connection. And in a way, it's almost as if we're trying to problem solve and just like shut up the person. And I'm not saying that we do this because, you know, shame on you if you've done it in the past, but think about it. Like, what's the underlying reason of doing the, I know how you feel and then stopping the person. Because if you've seen the video, the bear came down and not only did the bear came down, turned off the light immediately, turn on the light immediately. Didn't sit really with the fox, immediately tried to solve the problem and move on. Mm-hmm. Well, not, I wouldn't say immediately move on, but so someone is asking here for us to go over the last point again. What we're saying is, so the main difference between sympathy and empathy is sympathy is just the cognitive component without the emotional. You're saying, I understand cognitively, but you're staying above, right? Like the deer, not really going down to the emotional level because you don't really want to truly emotionally try to feel what that person is feeling. So sympathy is the cognitive component Whereas the empathy is attaching both the cognitive and emotional component in order to be, um, in order to be driven to compassion. Mm -hmm. But going back to one of our comments earlier of um, that, it seems like we're talking a lot more about empathy these days than a decade ago. Um, It actually goes probably even further than a decade ago. What's interesting is If you look at the original words and the original definitions of sympathy and empathy, there was no difference before. Absolutely none. So, for example, in the Greek, sympathy, sim means together. So if you think about symbiosis, right, 
Sim means together and pathos means feelings or emotions. Empathy means M, in or go into, and pathos means feelings. So essentially they mean the same thing, but empathy is a newer term that was developed, why? Because we detach the cognitive from the emotional. We started becoming a society that is more and more disconnected. And so in order to pass off our sympathy as empathy, we created this new word, right? This new term. Even if you look in the Bible, there's no word of empathy mentioned because sympathy truly meant to empathize. And there's, so there's no difference between sympathy and empathy. If you think about back then, there were no deer. Everyone would just go down to the hole with the person. Everyone were, was a bear. Well, either they, they'd have the choice to either go down or not go down. There was not the in-between. Exactly. Great point, Kersal. So it was not that there were, yeah, there were no deer. There was either bear or you chose not to go down at all. Yeah. And so it's interesting that our society has created a new term because we're not truly being sympathetic. I, I should reuse the word now, the original is <laughs> sympathy. And now we've had a negative twer- twist on sympathy and say, oh, we need to be empathic. But truly, sympathy and empathy are the same thing, but we've created. We've created a new term. Um, and so and the question is why? why? Why is this a new term? How does this new term reflect our current I don't want to say just this generation, but I mean, this new term empathy, it started off in 1902. And so that's when it began and it began based on psychology and all of that. But it's interesting, isn't it? So reflecting on that question, why is there this new term? Why can't we just stick with the word sympathy if it's pretty much the same thing? It is the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so I... I, there's a, somebody on here actually that I was having a conversation with while I was in a group setting and she had mentioned how this, how we're using the word authentic more these days and how it's interesting that we have to use that word nowadays because things are less authentic before you wouldn't say, Oh, do you have an authentic, are you an authentic friend? You were just a good friend or a bad friend. There's no in between. So the same concept with sympathy and empathy, that empathy is a new term because we're disconnecting the cognitive from the emotional piece. And, but that wasn't the way things were before. People were just truly sympathetic, which means empathic these days is confusing. <laughs> and that, yeah, there was no in between. So we have to create this new word. And if you think about it, it's really because we live in a society that's completely disconnected a society that promotes superficiality mm-hmm. and ultimately right. what boils down to all of it is we live in a society that lacks truth. So whether we use the word authentic or whether we use the word empathic to pass off, you know, to couch the term of sympathy, it's because we lack truth and we are in a society that has less and less of God's presence. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
And so that I hope that answers that previous comment in regards to I'm confused because sympathy and empathy, same word, different word, different concept. Well, now there you go. You have the answer, right? Mm-hmm. And what's interesting, so Dr. Brene Brown, um, it's coming from a very secular lens of, okay, they're different because um, one's cognitive, one's, in, you know, includes emotional peace, but coming from a truth perspective, it, there is no difference. The origin of both are to mean to, to attempt to feel with, and, but we've created this new term because there's such a disconnect today. And so we have to explain why somebody can cognitively try to be empathic, but not emotionally as well. So Katie, in reflecting on, are we truly empathic? Is that truly, are we truly capable of being empathic? What would be the response to that? The response would be, if you use the true definition of to attempt to, to make the choice to better understand cognitive peace, to desire to feel the emotional peace, and then the, it drives you to the compassionate peace, then yes, empathy is truly, impos- is truly possible. Mm. But if you look at the, tr- at the other definition to truly feel, to know how you feel, it is not possible. That's not possible. So the key word there in terms of answering the question, is it possible for me to be empathic would be, are you taking the attempt, the choice, the choice, right? And utilizing the three components, the desire to understand, desire to feel, and then to do something about that, to to lend a hand of help or support for that person compassionately. Yes. And we have a couple of questions here. So we have the first question, what do you think caused the disconnect? So if we think that the disconnect has led to this newer term of empathy to be developed, the question is, what do you think caused the disconnect? I I think it's very difficult to pinpoint one exact thing, but in the grand scheme of everything, I think as we have drawn further away from God himself, everything else has begun to just be fake. It's begun to be more of a a sinful nature. And I mean, we can talk about social media having a component to that, how we post pictures to appear a certain way, but we're not quite, or we post comments, statuses, et cetera, and things appear a certain way, but they're not quite that way. And not just appearing, but they're very surface level, right? So you can, how are you? Great, right? It's not deep connection. Mm -hmm. Um, But going off of what you just said, Chriselle, of essentially, if you boil it down, it's a lack of God. Mm -hmm. Coming from, let's say if somebody was like, I don't really believe in God. If you even just look at the Judeo-Christian perspective of to love others as yourself, that is the, the root of empathy and sympathy. Mm-hmm. And so if you start taking out those Christian principles from, from your day-to-day living, you're going to result in a society that's disconnected. Mm-hmm. So even if, let's say, you're watching and you're not Christian, 
I would challenge you to think about the values and how those values have really shaped America and other societies in a positive way, in a way that fuels connection. And so if you have God, if you have truth, right, truth and honesty really bring together connection. And of course, we could say COVID brings disconnection. Yeah, I was thinking about that. So we have another question here. Well, then why is it important to feel something emotionally, which is that middle component, which is a very good question. Can you be able to be empathic, which is the cognitive component that that then leads you to compassionate? Is that possible, Katie? Why is it important to have the emotional component? It's important because naturally as human beings, as we talked about with mere neurons, is there's a sequence of the cognitive piece leads to the emotional piece. So what happens is if you cut that, you, you're basically not allowing for the natural process to take place. So naturally it goes from cognitive to emotional to compassion. And if you think about it, we're going to talk in a few in a few future episodes on the three components of CBT, DBT, and other um, evidence-based practices that the three components of who we are as human beings are thoughts, behaviors, and emotions. Mm-hmm. And so the, there's the thoughts, the cognitive piece, the emotions, the emotional piece, and then the compassionate is the behavioral piece. So naturally, it's important to feel something emotionally because it's a part of who we are as people. We can't separate, separate, you know, divorce the emotional from the cognitive. We can't. Yes. The way that I visualize it is when I say I understand, I'm still here. You're there. When I say I feel it, that moves me to draw closer to you. As I draw closer to you, then I take an action to connect with you. Yes. So going back to the question of can we truly empathize. And we said we can, if it's a choice, but we can truly feel, but there is one person who can truly empathize, sympathize with us. So if you have your Bibles, we want you to turn with us to Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. And what's interesting about this passage, this passage is actually what taught me that sympathy and empathy are not different. The beauty of the Bible is it teaches you beyond the logic of even research today. Research today, okay, yeah, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. But you realize if you really dig into research that there is no difference. And this verse is what taught me. We'll actually read verses 14 to 16. And it reads, Again, Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest, this is talking about Jesus Christ, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Here's the key verse. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. So Paul, he's the author. He he likes to write things in confusing ways, but he's (laughs) writing it in a way that says, you would assume that we do not have a God who can sympathize with us right? Because typically gods are faraway gods. He's saying, but basically we do. We have a high priest, Jesus, who can sympathize. And that word sympathize is in the full um, full sense of what we've talked about. So in other versions, it says touched with our infirmities, meaning touched himself, not 
I can imagine how you feel. I can attempt to feel what you feel. I can make the choice. He doesn't say those things. It says he was actually touched with our weaknesses, with our infirmities, and was in all points tempted and troubled as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This shows us that empathy is not possible or sympathy is not possible for us to truly know how someone else feels because we haven't had the experiences. We haven't felt exactly what they have felt. We can try to, right? That's the true empathy that we can have. There's only one person. And so if you're watching and you don't know who this person is, we encourage you to, to learn about him because he's the only person who can truly, truly sympathize with all of our weaknesses, all of our troubles, all of our temptations, all of our struggles. And next episode, we'll talk more about this empathic prescriber, but this is kind of just to whet your appetite a bit for we do have somebody who can truly sympathize. And so when we think about the video where the bear says, I know how you feel, the bear doesn't really know. He didn't stay in that hole, right? He came down for a little bit and he was trying, right? He tried, but he did a great job better than the deer. Yes. But he didn't spend time in the dark. He didn't spend time in the hole. He wasn't stuck there, right? He wasn't feeling all alone like the fox felt. He didn't feel overwhelmed. He didn't suffer in the hole. But when we read about this high priest, Jesus came down. He came down from that ladder from heaven. He went into the hole of earth. And it says that he came and he suffered here in all points that we can ever suffer. He's the only one who can truly empathize and sympathize. Crystal, I know that we wanted to read a couple more verses to close. Mm -hmm. Yes. Us, Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter, chapter three. Yes. Yes. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter three, verses 14 through 18. And this is evidence that Jesus does it to help us in the hole as he's, he climbs down that ladder. So beginning in verse 14, for we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Are you reading the correct verses? No, I don't think so. Oh, I think it's chapter two, verses 14 through eight. I was reading that and said, how does that relate? <laughs> so you're saying it's chapter two then? Yes. Yes, chapter two, starting in verse 14 through 18, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, chapter two. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same way. So there's that being able to connect, right? That through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, 
and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, not in some things, but in all things, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted. He is able to aid those who are tempted. So I love that last part in regards to he understands because he himself has been through that. It's not the, I understand through the cognitive perspective. It's the cognitive, the emotional. He's able to fully grasp Mm. our sufferings because he himself has been through them. Yes. He was made like his brethren, exactly as we have been made. Mm. We have a comment here. It says, if we have in any sense a more trying conflict than had Christ, then he would not be able to secure us. But our Savior took humanity with all its liabilities. He took the nature of man with the possibility of yielding to temptation. We have nothing to bear, which he has not endured. And again, we'll, we'll expound upon this more in our next episode. But one thing I would encourage you, if you don't know this person yet to get to know him if you do my encouragement for you is from a mental health perspective is to share about him because what happens is we long so much to receive empathy of i know how you feel from other people and we can't we can't it's impossible but there is someone who can't and often we think about the gospel as something just being a spiritual component This is a cognitive, emotional, compassionate component of there is somebody who has truly suffered. Like you are never truly alone because you have someone who has truly suffered in all ways that you could ever suffer, right? So there's somebody who can look at you and say, I know how you feel. Isn't that wonderful? I know how you feel. And not just that, and we'll talk about this again next episode, But it says in verse 18, he is able to aid those who are also tempted or troubled. And so he can not only empathize, but he also has the ability to help you in your own suffering. And so to conclude and wrap up, right, what is empathy? In our definition, in our human ability, it's the choice, right? The attempt. To Mm -hmm. understand cognitively to feel emotionally and to help and support compassionately same thing as sympathy we learned that as well and that there's only one true person who can truly truly empathize and feel our pain and that's jesus christ our high priest yeah so jesus is our empathic prescriber And so we do encourage you to join us in two weeks as we get acquainted with him. So we're going to learn how to search for an empathic secular therapist. Because you might be thinking, are they trying to tell me that I need a therapist? I just go straight to Jesus. Well, we're going to learn more about Jesus, the true empathic prescriber, along with answering the question, how do I search for an empathic therapist, right? And I would encourage, I know a lot of people have the question of, you know, should I have a Christian therapist? Should I, is it okay for me not to see a Christian therapist? What type of therapist 
um, is it okay to see? And that's a huge question. And that's one that we'll be tackling next episode. So we encourage you to join us for that. But as mm-hmm. always, right, information without application does not result in transformation. And so we want to give you your next truth prescription, aka homework. <laughs> um, and it is to be intentional, right, to make the choice to do at least one empathic action this next two weeks. And remember, empathy being the choice, the cognitive component, emotional component, and the compassionate component. Yes. So thanks for joining us. Let's close in prayer and thank God for coming down, right? And truly experiencing and understanding how we feel. Dear Lord in heaven, Thank you so much for being, for being you, for being a God who fully understands us, who wants to understand us, Lord, and forgive us for the times that we have felt that there's no one who can understand us, that we've gone to others seeking healing, seeking that comforting response when all along, Lord, that you're there ready, Lord, to comfort us and to relate and understand our struggles. We pray that you be with us these next two weeks as we continue to learn more about you, as we utilize this information, this knowledge, Lord, to to go and, and assist others in their struggles, Lord. Thank you for all that you do for us, Lord, all that you've done for us and all that you will continue to do for us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So we just want to remind you, don't forget to take your daily dosage of the truth because why Katie if you know the truth the truth will set you free awesome so we'll see you in two weeks on April the 8th I almost read that August the 4th (laughs) April the 8th at 7 p.m and don't forget to subscribe and please share so this can be a blessing for many others have a good evening everyone bye This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.